0: Good morning, everybody. Hang on just a second. I forgot to mute my phone because it's Friday and things like that happen on a Friday. So good morning, everybody. My name is Richard Haley. You're watching the Mountain Fun Life channel, and this is sports in the Smokies where there are no sports and you're not allowed to go to the Smokies. So what are we going to talk about today? Oh, I got a couple of different things set up for you. Uh, some fun stuff, some serious stuff, but uh, let's go ahead and dive in to the serious part which is an update on COVID-19 and what's going on. So if you follow me on Facebook, then you know that I put out a daily COVID-19 update. And that's something that I do to help everybody cut through some of the confusion and noise over what the numbers actually are, what they mean to you, and kind of give you that information that you need to make the decisions that you need to make each day. So since I've been doing that on a daily basis, I figured I'd bring it here to you folks here watching the Mountain Fun Life channel. And it doesn't matter how you watch. If you're on Facebook Live with us right now, or you watch the archive on Roku or YouTube, or even if you listen to the podcast on any of your sources for podcasts, you'll get the information that you need to plan how we move forward. And that's the really cool piece of news that we've got is it is time to start moving forward. Uh, You've heard from President Trump and here in Tennessee, Governor Lee, more locally, uh, both Knoxville's mayor, uh, India Kincannon, and Knox County Mayor Glenn Jacobs are all putting together plans to start reopening and moving forward. So as long as we do that cautiously and while still protecting ourselves, that's where we need to be. So let's take a quick look at the numbers and see where we stand right now. So this dashboard is run by Johns Hopkins University, and it is put together by their Center for System Science and Engineering, and uh, it compiles information, if you look down here towards the bottom, from the World Health Organization, the Center for Disease Control, the European Center for Disease Control, Great Britain's National Health Center, and just lots and lots of different sources. And they compile all the numbers. Again, these sources may have different numbers at different times, but they compile them all so that we can see, get a decent picture of what's going on. So starting off globally, 2,181,508 confirmed cases as of 9.30 in the morning on today, April 17th. With that, we've seen a total globally of 147,337 deaths. However, if we click over here on the recovered number, well over half a million people have recovered. And that half a million number is a little bit low. Um, Actually, it's a lot low. There's a lot of places that aren't really reporting recovered. Uh, They report their active number of cases. They report total hospitalizations and things like that but unless they give a number to one of these aggregators, then their uh, total recovered number is not going to be captured. But the good news is that recorded recoveries are outnumbering recorded fatalities five to one. And that means right off the bat that we've got a lot of people who are getting this and getting over it. And that's what we want to see. All right, so that is the global number. The next thing we're gonna look at is right down here, this chart, because that tells us some things that we want to know. And I'm gonna blow it up here and make it a little bit easier to see. So this is the confirmed case rate and you can see it's still moving up. We had some uh, slowing right here. This last number bounced up a little bit. One of the key things that I want you to be aware of when you look at uh, COVID-19 statistics is the daily totals are far less important than the trends. What is happening day after day? The trend is where we're at. So what I'm looking at here, I'm gonna change this to the logarithmic post. And what this is doing is it changes the vertical axis. Instead of going up by the same amount for each division, it goes up by a factor of 10. So we have 1,000 cases, 10,000 cases, 100,000 cases, a million cases, and so on. And what that does is it gives us a more pronounced curve that we can follow visually throughout the entire range of the spread of COVID-19. So it gives us a better visualization of what's going on. And you can see when we project this way that we've got a nice, strong curve here slowing, showing that globally we are approaching if we have not already hit the peak spread. Now, as the rate of expansion slows, this begins to give us less information. And we come over here to the third version of the chart, which is the actual raw number of daily new cases for each day. And looking at this one, you can see that we have peaked and we can easily see that we've plateaued. We're not getting an expansion in the number of new cases each day. I believe we're seeing the first part of a trend of moving down, which means we've passed the peak and that's a good thing. So with a few more days of data and the trend will become a little bit more pronounced and we'll have a better idea of how we're doing as far as where the peak is. So this is all the global data. Now let's narrow our focus a little bit and come in and look at US data. So coming over here, click on that. And as this updates, we see that the United States has had a total of 671,493 confirmed cases of COVID-19. Now I wanna address a couple of things that people talk about. If you're online at all and you're tracking any of this, you're hearing a lot of stories about Inflated counts or deflated counts, either they're counting too many people, they're not counting enough people, and it's really getting contentious. People are arguing back and forth and getting really wrapped up in how accurate this number is, and I don't want you to do that, okay? This number we know is a representative picture of the day-to-day change, and that's what we care about. Just like I said, we care about the trend, not the actual number. So is this number off by 10, 15, 20%? More than likely, it may be off by more than that. But the daily change, the change over time, that's what we're looking at, that's what I'm looking at. And as long as the accuracy remains about the same and people aren't playing funny business, and we'll get to that when we get down into the state picture, this uh, set of numbers still gives us the information we need what is changing dynamically out in the field rather than looking at the exact number. So 671,493 confirmed cases, a total in the U.S. of 33,288 deaths. Um, More than we want, but way lower than the initial predictions. If you remember when President Trump first said, okay, we need to... take this seriously and do more than we're doing right now. Uh, That was right after the uh, British study came out and predicted that unless we took measures, 2.2 million Americans were going to die from COVID-19. And that's what kicked this ball rolling. Now, all of those predictions have dropped way, way down. And currently the uh, NIH, which is National Institute of Health and the CDC and uh, the others, Are now predicting somewhere in the neighborhood of 60,000 to die from COVID-19, which for comparison purposes puts us right around a peak nasty flu season. So 60,000 people is a lot of people. These are in excess of the flu. We don't want to minimize it, but we do want to keep an idea of the relative level of risk. And the other good news is our actual numbers are tracking well below even the 60,000 projection. So this is a good thing. All right. So, uh, 33,288 deaths total recovery, 56,236. So, uh, two to one ratio recovery over deaths and the U S particularly the individual States is particularly bad about reporting recovery. So this number is way, way low. Looking at the total tested in the US, this is a really good number to know, 3.4 million people have been tested and 671 total confirmed cases. US hospitalization, 109,494. This number is way, way lower than the predictions, which is great. That means that our hospitals are not being overrun except in certain hotspots like uh, New York City, for example. They are not out of beds. They still have plenty of beds, but they are running at a higher capacity than uh, some of the other places in the United States. So that is the U.S. number. Now we're gonna drill down a little bit further and get into some state numbers. So let's move to change the region. Oh, and before I do, you can see the U.S. numbers. We've very definitely got a lowering and a slowing of growth. We have hit our peak. Um, That's not to say that we couldn't have another peak here in a little while, but for right now we've hit our peak and we are moving forward and that is awesome. Um, So active cases, we can change the map to that and look at active cases in the United States. Total confirmed case 671,000, recovered 56,000, they're showing an active case rate of 581,969. That number is, as I explained a few minutes ago, way, way, way off. And I'll show you some uh, interesting proof of that here in just a second. All right. So we are drilling down to the state level, and I'm going to get back to cumulative confirmed cases, and I'm scrolling down to get to Tennessee. And there we are. There's Tennessee. And we pull that up. And Tennessee is showing 6,263 cases total across the state. And as you would expect, let's see if we can zoom in here a little bit. All right, map's updating, so we'll let that update. There we go. You can see how the cases are spread throughout, the US, throughout Tennessee. There we go. And you can see the bigger dots are in the higher population centers, Memphis, Nashville, and then to a lesser extent, Knoxville and Chattanooga. And we see that over and over again throughout the uh, nation. High density population leads to more transmission of COVID-19. And that's gonna come into play when we start talking about our path forward in recovery. So remember that. High density population, more transmission low density population, low transmission. That's going to be important. So with a total of 600 or 6,263 cases, we've had a total of 141 deaths in Tennessee. And again, this is what I was talking about. And I wanted to show you, Tennessee is not tracking recoveries. So there's no data there. So all of those people that are being, uh, that are surviving the disease and going on about their business, it's not being tracked. So that leads to an overestimation of the number of active cases. All right. So we've got 85,049 people tested in the state of Tennessee, 6,000 confirmed cases. So by my math, we're, we're looking at close to a 13 to 1 ratio of tested versus uh, confirmed, and that's a good thing. All right, so let's drill down a little bit further and get to actual counties, because for those of you here in Sevier County with me, this is an important number for you guys to know, and here it is. Confirmed cases in Sevier County, 22. 22 of our friends and neighbors have come down and tested positive for COVID-19. Now, that is an interesting number. 22 out of the entire county's population have tested positive for COVID-19 over the last several weeks. And you also notice this very happy number that we've got right here, zero deaths. No deaths in Sevier County from COVID-19. That is absolutely wonderful. I'm going to switch to a more local map because there's a little bit more information there that we like. So this is UT's uh, tracking. It's in the, It's from the same data that the National Picture uses. Uh, it's hosted by the same people, but this is run by University of Tennessee. And this is uh, some more information that we like to have. And one of the things on here that I really like is I can come down here and we'll take Knox County, for example. And when we select Knox County, we can see that there's 182 confirmed cases, three new cases in the last day, and a total of four deaths. But here's the cool thing. If we go ahead and click over right here to see our active cases, And this is, we lost our Knox. Let's bring that back. Let this update. Knoxville has a total of 49 cases of COVID-19. So the Knoxville metropolitan area or the Knox County area, over 100,000 people living there, and we've had 49 total cases of COVID-19 or total active cases of COVID-19. Uh, Knox County's total cases, 182 out of the full population. So that tells us a little bit about where we stand as far as how prevalent it is in our community and what's happening with those cases. So when the show is done, I will put the links for both of these charts in the comments so you can look them up and dig into them for yourself. So that's kind of the picture of what's going on. So now let's talk just a little bit before we go into break about what this means going forward. So the first piece of this is what I said a minute ago. A high population density leads to high transmission. Low population density leads to low transmission. So the first thing that we need to think about is whatever approach we use, it needs to be tailored to the area where it's going to be implemented. New York City, with its public transportation systems, the subways and the buses, is far more uh, vulnerable for COVID-19 transmission than East Tennessee, where everybody owns a pickup truck or a car and they all travel separately. There was a report just yesterday linking the spread of COVID-19 in New York City to the subways. And if you see pictures on the news, you can see people are not practicing social distancing on the subway. They can't. It's the only way to get around in New York City um, and people are packed together and it's the perfect vector for uh, virus transmission. So that's one of the things that makes New York City differently from Knoxville, Tennessee or Sevierville, Tennessee. What that means for you and me is our path forward is also going to be different. Now, the low case rate here in Sevier County is due to a whole bunch of things, um, and it's not as much social distancing as just the fact that we have a lot of space, and we tend to spread out. We don't tend to cluster. So we're already protecting ourselves from COVID-19, and that's a good thing. So moving forward, we're going to start opening up businesses. Like I said, our political... Class in Washington and in Nashville and here at home with the local people are starting to put together plans to put things back together. Here's the key to that. What they do is going to be important. But what we do ourselves, what we do to protect ourselves is going to be far more important than what they do. So just as an example, the rules that we're living by right now under social isolation, some of them are going to go forward. Uh, And I'll give you a couple of examples. If you've been out and about and say you've gone to a drive-through at a restaurant, you've seen that they've put new plexiglass shields up to separate the breathing zone of the customers with the workers. They're doing that in department stores as well. I know uh, I was in Home Depot yesterday to manage some of our rental properties and they put tables or boxes between the customer and the checkout counter to make sure that we maintained that distance for social separation. Great idea, and it's probably gonna be permanent. Uh, The Weigels that I stopped at to get gas, they've put plexiglass shields in front of the cashiers. So again, the breathing zones are separated. Things like that are gonna be permanent. Other things that are gonna be permanent will be things like social emphasis on washing your hands. Absolutely. We're going to be washing our hands. There's going to be hand sanitizer uh, dispensers everywhere, particularly at the entrance to areas where people congregate, football stadiums, restaurants, bars, any place like that. You're going to start seeing lots and lots of hand sanitizer available, almost to the level of what you find in a hospital. Probably not quite that uh, prevalent, but it's going to be there. There's going to be more social pressure pushed on if you're sick, stay home. That's a really good idea anytime. time. So if we do that, if we're sick, we stay home. Some of the repercussions are that. A lot of us go to work sick because A, we're needed at work. B, the boss can't figure out how to work without us. And C, we need money, okay? There's going to have to be some changes in our workplace to make staying at home when you're sick a more reasonable alternative, okay? This is something that should have happened a long time ago but we are Americans. We have a can do attitude. Yeah, I'm sick, but I'm going to tough through it. Well don't cause you're going to take two, three, four people down and now they have to tough through it too. So when you're sick, stay home. If you are particularly vulnerable to whatever virus is going around, you need to stay home and then continuing to practice social distancing doesn't mean safer at home or stay at home orders. It means when you're out in the public, you're not hugging on strangers, okay? It's pretty much that simple. Keep your hands clean, stay home when you're sick, don't lick a stranger, okay? These kind of precautions go a long, long way towards preventing the spread of any communicable disease, whether it's COVID-19 or not. So that's the kind of long-term change that we expect to see, or at least that I expect to see. I don't expect to see, for example, Capacities in restaurants being maintained at half capacity for a long period of time. That would be an overreaction. So restaurants will open up, we'll start at half capacity, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, make sure we don't get a strong surge in uh, COVID-19 until we get an effective treatment, which is on the way, or a vaccine, which, to be honest, we may never get. Uh, COVID-19 is in the same family as SARS. SARS outbreak was 17 years ago. And to my knowledge, we still don't have a vaccine for SARS. So I'm not counting on a vaccine, but if we've got an effective treatment available, then I'm not worried about the vaccine. But at some point, restaurants will open back up and they'll go back to full capacity. We'll start sports again, please, tomorrow. How about tomorrow? Let's start sports again. So we'll start up sports again. Stadiums will be filled. Amusement parks will open. Dollywood will open. Disney World will open. There will be some changes in the way they operate. They may reduce their capacity to a certain extent, but I don't expect them to cut it in half. One of the things we have to remember is most of these businesses operate on a margin. And that margin is usually pretty thin. So if they operate at half capacity for for a long period of time, they're not going to make it. They'll shut down. Um, in the podcast, give me a reminder and we'll talk a little bit about, uh, drive-in movies and how the movie industry is going to change because of all of this. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's the COVID-19 update and my look at where we're going and the most important thing, and I'm going to emphasize this again, is if you protect yourself and you protect your family, then COVID-19 is not a worry. So wash your hands frequently, stay home when you're sick cover your cough. Okay. Those three rules are going to go so far to keep you and your family safe that some of this other stuff that we've been doing won't be on the table. All right. So if you do those three things, take care of yourself, take care of your family and be safe. All right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to do some fun stuff because uh, it's time to have some fun. So give me a minute. I'll be right back and we'll see what happens next. I finished that just in time. All right. So I put out a call for people to show us what you do while you're at home, stuck at home under a safer at home uh, order. And I expected a lot of responses because I'm one of those people that has a lot of different hobbies. I do a lot of different things and uh, I got one response. So apparently most of you are sleeping for most of your time at home which that's not a bad thing. Hey, if you can, why not? Um, but since I didn't get a whole lot of response from you guys, I'm going to show you some of the things that I do while I'm stuck at home, because there's a lot of different things that I like to do. And one of them you can see right here on my shirt right here. Uh, don't know if you can read it from there. It says Haley observatory. It's a shirt I had made up by a company. Um, There is no such thing as Haley Observatory. It's a telescope in my driveway. So that's all there is. But from last week's show, you saw that I like to uh, take pictures of the stars. The last two nights, we've had some beautiful, beautiful weather for taking those pictures. And I got a couple of new pictures to show you. So let's take a look at them. This is the Orion Nebula. And it is in the... uh, Orion constellation which is one of the easiest ones to recognize when uh, you're looking out at the sky mainly because you've got Orion's belt and uh, those are very bright stars it's one of the brightest constellations in the sky really easy to find in the winter this is what is the middle star of the sheath for Orion's sword and uh, I took this uh, data last winter And you can see it was very early. I wasn't uh, really good at focusing the telescope at all. So you can see it's a little bit blurry, but you can see a lot of the colors that are in the nebula. So two nights ago, we had a beautiful clear night, so I set up my telescope again. And this is the picture that I got from that. And I'll make that a little bit larger so you can see it. And again, here's here's the wings of Orion's Nebula. You can see that I got it focused a whole lot better. You can see the companion over here, and there's another that was just starting to pick up. Uh, The problem is with uh, Orion's Nebula right now, it's close to the horizon, so I don't get a whole lot of imaging time. So uh, it's much better in the winter, but you guys remember the winter we've just had. It was cloudy most nights. And the nights that weren't cloudy the full moon was out which makes it really hard to get pictures of uh, nebula so that was what i took pictures of last night and uh, it was fun putting that together i was up till four o'clock in the morning i mentioned everybody sleeping in and uh, i very definitely slept in the next morning my alarm went off at eight and i started to get out of bed my feet hit the floor and then i remembered COVID 19 i got nowhere to go nothing to do i went back to sleep so That's a very valid use of your time if that's what you want to do. Um, I'm gonna have more pictures. Last night I was out getting a picture of another nebula called the Horsehead Nebula. And there's another one right there in frame with it called the Flame Nebula. Um, I got about two hours worth of data last night. I've got about another three hours of collecting to do before that one image will be ready. And then I took some more pictures of the Whirlpool Galaxy considering I'm a little bit better. I've got a little bit better technique now, and we'll see how those turn out. So that's uh, one of the things that I do when I am killing time. I have a lot of different hobbies, and I'm going to come back to that idea here in just a minute. But, uh, oh, I forgot that this is my screen uh, backdrop on my Uh, all of my computers. And that's another picture I took of the Dumbbell Nebula. So uh, that's another picture. And it's a good one. I really like that one. Again, I'm still learning some techniques. These blobby blobby stars are a little bit too big, but I'll take care of those as uh, I get better. All right. So next thing we're going to look at, and we'll, we'll use the front camera on this one, because I've actually brought some samples in. I am... A maker. I like to make things uh, it, and it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, if I can take something and make something with it, then I'm going to do it. So that leads to a lot of different hobbies. Um, oh, Here we go. This pen, and I don't know wh- how well you can see it. I'll post a picture of it later, um, again, in the comments. This is a pen that I made. I do wood turning in my garage. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's an easy project. And uh, we might be able to get a close-up of this here in a little bit. So uh, I'll come back to these in just a while. But I'll set that right here for right now. So I like wood turning. It's a very calming activity. I've also done full-scale woodworking. I can build a table, I can build a chair. Um, I've built several projects. I made a crib for uh, my grandkids and hopefully their kids will use it and it will be passed down through the family. Um, But it turns out I like wood turning a little bit better because A, it's faster. I can finish a project in a day and it's more relaxing where the large woodworking projects can tend to be more frustrating because you're working really hard and finesse is extremely, extremely important. So, I've found myself graduating into wood turning. I've made vases, bowls, pens, spindles. It's a lot of fun. So, that's one. Then, uh, going back to uh, my Navy years, I started getting into a very traditional, old school Navy hobby. Uh, It's not as big anymore. Uh, Hopefully it'll come back. But I started taking up knitting and crocheting and other things. I decided to make a sweater while I was on my first deployment to uh, the Mediterranean. We were out at sea for six months and I decided I need to have something to show for that six months. So we were In a port, I think in Italy, I went to the Navy exchange there and I grabbed some yarn. I grabbed an instruction book. I grabbed a pattern that looked cool and I started teaching myself to knit and it worked out pretty well. Um, I made a sweater. I came home from the deployment, gave the sweater to my wife. She was really happy, said, all right, now you need to make another one. Uh, Found out later that there is a thing called the sweater curse that I was not aware of where you spend months making a sweater for your significant other. You hand it to them lovingly and they love it and they keep it and then they leave you. It's called the sweater curse. It's a thing. Look it up. So I don't think that really had anything to do with it, but, uh, I did wind up having to, uh, find a new wife. So there's that. Anyway, uh, I started knitting. So here's a project that I'm working on right now. And I believe we've got a close-up camera set up. We do. So I'm going to show it here. And you can see that while the color is very simple, there's lots of detail in the pattern. And this is what I like. I like textures and I like seeing how the different stitches work together to create texture. So this sweater is a project I've been working on for quite a while and uh, it is about two thirds of the way done. And when I finish it, I'll be wearing it unless my wife steals it. So I also do a couple of other fiber arts. So let's look at those. The current project that I'm working on right now is a lot of fun, and uh, I'm going to pull that out, but first I'm going to go to this one. I bought a loom because looms are very, very interesting to me. I couldn't figure out how they worked, so the way my mind works, if I can't figure out how it works, I'm going to get one until I can get it to work. So here's just an example of some fabric that I put on the loom and using some different stitches and some different yarns. Again, I'm very big into texture and I played around with it. This is just a little table runner. It was just a practice project, nothing super special. And again, just a little sample project, something that I tried just to get uh, used to doing the pattern. And you can see, That's a very interesting pattern. Apparently it's a very traditional pattern for weaving, but I figured out how the loom works and had a lot of fun with that. Now, my current project, the big one, I went and started crocheting because I saw this pattern on a website and I thought it was absolutely incredible. So I got the pattern from the guy who designed it and started making this sweater. The basis, or excuse me, not a sweater, it's a blanket. The basis for this pattern is uh, Middle Eastern spice markets with all the colors and the lights. And while I was in the Navy, I did go to several of these markets and bazaars, and uh, this definitely is representative of what we'll find there. Here, I'm going to do this a little bit different. I'm going for the front camera because this is big enough, it'll show. And it has the advantage of hiding my face. So you guys get a little bit of a break from that. So this is about two thirds of the way done. And once it's done, uh, I'll take pictures of the finished project and show it to you when it's all done. So those are a couple of my hobbies. Now that we've got the close-up camera, we'll look at this pen again. All right, that's a good one so you can see it. This is called a bolt action pen kit. You can see it's based off of a rifle cartridge. Pen mechanism works like this. The wood is zebra wood um, turned, and then you assemble the kit from the hardware. It's pretty easy, but it's a lot of fun. All right, so those are some of my hobbies. I have others as well, and we'll get to those. You've already seen me do hiking. You've seen me do a couple of other things. Um, I threatened to sing in the shower for you if I didn't get enough response. Fortunately for you, I couldn't find a portable shower, so you, you get to miss that. But yes, I do sing. I play a couple of musical instruments, including the banjo uh, and the hammered dulcimer, which is not the dulcimer that you see in strum, it's a, a precursor to the piano. But I uh, play both of those. I picked up a little bit of guitar. I'm teaching myself now. Uh, took piano lessons for a couple years as a kid. So I really enjoy music. So these are some of the things that I do to keep myself amused. But there's, other, there's another reason for it. And that's what I'm going to close out with here in just a second. One of the things that our modern society does is it drives us to get really good at one thing to the point where we don't really do much of anything else. We do that one thing that we're good at and that's it. And I've always been influenced by a science fiction writer by the name of Robert Heinlein. And it looks like I was going to put that quote up, but it looks like that tab is gone. So, that's unfortunate. However, I can fix that. So, while this is coming up, there we go. It's going to take a little minute. The uh, computer is a little bit slow this morning. Open it up. There we go. With that there we go and we'll bring this back up but Robert Heinlein is a or was a science fiction author writing back all the way up through uh, the late 80s uh, before he passed but uh, this quote of his is something that I've tried to pattern my life after and it has to do with not getting tied down into doing one thing because people are very versatile and have the ability to do far more than just one thing well. Uh, Look at Mountain Fun Life, for example. We've got an amazing group of people here who can do many, many things and do them well. Frank can talk for days without ever, A, running out of things to talk about, and B, getting boring. He's always got something interesting to talk about because he's done a lot and he's seen a lot. He hasn't limited himself to one thing. Kira Cup, another of our hosts. She is an artist, she is a photographer, she is a graphic designer, and she's becoming a internet personality. She has lots of different things that she can do. Our production staff, Hunter and Hannah, are both learning new skills every day, and they're growing and they're broadening their skill sets so that not only do they do production engineering, but they're learning graphics or they're learning uh, animation or they're learning something new each day. And that's what I want us to do. So this quote that I've got up here, and we'll put it up on the big screen. A human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, die gallantly. Specialization is for the insects. And that's kind of where my hobbies come from. And it's not just COVID-19. Obviously I've been doing some of these things for years. I have an innate curiosity. I never grew up and grew out of that kid who was always, why, why, what's this, how does this work? So when I find something that interests me, I dig in, I learn about it, and I figure out how to do it. And that's kind of the story of my life. The cool thing is it can be the story of your life too. If you have a question, ask it. We have all the information in the world accessible to us, right at our fingertips in the internet. And we use it for cat pictures and pictures of our food. Okay? If you want to learn something, if you want to learn how to do it, go to the internet. There is plenty of information there on how to do it. Stuff that's going to keep you learning and growing. Because here's the thing, when you stop learning, when you stop growing is when you start dying, is when you start getting old. I have no intention of getting old until I absolutely have to, my beard and mustache notwithstanding. I don't know why they're 20 years older than me, but that's all right. I'll live with it. Keep learning, keep growing, keep moving forward. When you have time, do something with it. I'm a huge, huge reader. I have a library filled with books. I have a picture in my house. It says, this is not a library. It's a trophy case. These are experiences that I've brought into my life. This is knowledge that I've integrated. So whatever you want to do, get out and do it. It doesn't take anything but time and the will to do it. Learn a skill. Make a blanket. Leave something behind. All right. That's all the time we have today. I went a little bit longer than I thought I would. Uh, You guys are burning down my door with comments, um, so let me get to them. All right. That's done. Uh feel free to comment. We're going to be doing the after show here in a couple of minutes and I do promise to get to that reference I made about drive-ins and where I think the movie the- movie systems are going here in the near future. So hang out. We'll be back on in about 15 minutes with the after show. And if you've got questions, great. We'll answer them. Otherwise, I'll ramble on for a little while, then I'll go home because I got to make spaghetti tonight. All right. Everybody be safe. Keep yourself safe, keep your family safe. Be careful out there. Wash your hands stay home if you're sick, cover your cough, and I'll see everybody next Friday. But remember, you don't have to wait till Friday. Monday is uh, Kira in the morning on Morning in the Mountains. Tuesday, we have Santa and Mrs. Santa reading another story. Wednesday, Jim and James with the Entertainment Report. Thursday, Frank and Kira, and who knows what will happen there, and then I'll be back Friday. And don't forget 9.15 every weekday morning and anytime where weather is breaking, we've got Captain Accurate. So another full week of programming coming up next week. Hope to see you all. Everybody stay safe. And I will see you on Friday.